Well, good morning. Would you stand with me and let's sing this familiar hymn of the faith together? We acknowledge that our God is holy. Well, good morning, fellowship. We are so glad that you have joined us today, whether you're here in the room or whether you're watching online. We are so glad that today we can end this this year, 2020, uh, by worshiping the Lord our God. Aren't you glad that 2020 is almost over? Yeah. Does anybody want to file for an extension? No, let's put it in the rearview mirror. I'm Sam, and this is Josh. And uh, just a couple of things for you this morning. 
first of all, don't forget, we're still doing our gift fundraising campaign. What the gift is, is an opportunity to, to give a generous offering to the Lord. And some of that will be used for Fellowship Bentonville this year. But other, uh, other parts of that fund will go around Northwest Arkansas to worthy organizations and even um, around the world as our elders pray over that. And also, just a reminder that our year-end giving will need to be in an offering slot here at the worship center or over at the office or postmarked by December 31st. And I just want to say a personal thank you to you, Fellowship. Our dream is that we would be known as a generous church. And in 2020, you guys have shown up big. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. You guys have helped us do a lot of ministry. Hey, today is going to be different. We've actually asked our Celebrate Recovery Ministry to take over our worship service. And that's why Josh is here. Josh is on staff with CR. And so Josh, tell us what today's all about. Yeah. Well, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with lust, codependency, and anger. And my name's Josh. That wasn't very good. No, not good. So it, this is now Celebrate Recovery, so it's traditional um, repertoire. If Josh is vulnerable and says his name, that you would welcome him and affirm him. So let's, let's try it again, Josh. Sorry, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with lust, codependency, and anger. And my name's Josh. Hi, Josh. That feels good. No, I, that's okay. So the first time I heard an introduction like that was two years ago. We did similar thing like this in, on a Sunday morning, and I heard that introduction for the first time sitting in the, in the congregation, and I thought, wow, those people on stage have some problems. <laughs> but deep down, I knew, even thinking that and joking like that, I was also dealing with some pain. You see, we all deal with hurts, hangups, and habits, and one of the habits I was really struggling with was struggling with lust and pornography and feeling no hope of freedom from that. When I got involved at Celebrate Recovery, I found out that my sin was pretty deep, deeper than I knew, but that freedom and wholeness in Jesus was greater than I could ever imagine. So that habit was tied to a lot of other things, some hangups, which are just lies that we believe about ourselves. One of those lies was that I had to live to please and be loved by other people, and fighting for other people's affection kept me from being able to love other people well and be ultimately be able to love God very well at all. And that hang-up wasn't isolated either. It was tied to some hurts from my past, some painful, painful events that had happened, some fear of my seventh-grade bully still existing in me, some pain from an offhanded conversation with my grandpa. Some of those things just are still lodged in my bones. But through Celebrate Recovery and through working this process, I was able to find freedom for my hurts, hang-ups, and habits, and I'm walking in a new way of life. And so I remember what it felt like hearing about those things, but I've now found a, a real love and freedom in Celebrate Recovery. And now I get the privilege of working with The Landing, which is the student ministry for Celebrate Recovery, because recovery is a family journey. On Friday nights, we have student ministries available for 5th through 12th grade, where we do lessons going through the, the curriculum of Celebrate Recovery, and then do open share groups, because a lot of our hurts, hangups, and habits begin even in those teenage years. We also have a children's ministry, Celebration Place, where we do pre-covery. Sylvia and her team want to empower our kids to be able to process and face the challenges life offers. Right now, we're kind of like you guys, where we're offering children's curriculum, but not a full service yet. But if you guys come to a Friday night, and this would be a great Friday night to come to, there is stuff for the whole family. Speaking of which, this Friday night is a special service. Normally, we start at 7 p.m., but this Friday night at 6.30 is our Nail It to the Cross service. 
Every year, we love to start the year by giving people the opportunity to take those hurts, hangups, and habits and lay those at the feet of Jesus, the only person who can bring hope and healing. And so this Friday at 6.30, we're going to have our Nail It to the Cross service. So if you've heard about Celebrate Recovery before, or if it's your first time hearing it and you think that that's something you'd like to try, try uh, this would be a great service to get your feet wet. But if you're also just a member of fellowship and you want to see one of these awesome ministries we have going on here, Friday would be a great time to join us. So we're really excited to be here with you guys. They're locking in the doors in the back, so you can't leave now. It's can't Celebrate leave. Recovery. Can't leave. You're stuck. You're stuck. Hey, we're going to give you a taste of what a typical Friday night looks like. And so you're no longer at Fellowship Bible Church here at Rogers. You're at CR. And so, Josh, would you pray for us as we enter into our time today? Absolutely. It'd be great. God, thank you so much for every person here. I don't know what this week was like for them, but it was different for me. And God, uh, you've been faithful, though, even in weeks like that and in days like that. And I thank you that uh, you love us so much that you are here. Christmas reminds us that you are here and you're with us, even in the middle of our mess. And so, God, I pray that tonight or today during the worship and during all parts of this time together that you'd be lifted up and glorified and, Lord, that you would transform our hearts and make us more like you. God, thanks for every woman and man and child here today. Thank you for this time to be together. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so to start Celebrate Recovery Services, we read our eight principles of recovery and the Beatitudes to go with this, with those. So I'm going to invite my coworker, Jill, to come lead us through those. Jill? Good morning, fellowship. I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I celebrate recovery over loss of faith. I still struggle with codependency, love, and relationship addiction, and my name is Jill. So let's read the eight principles together this morning. Principle one, realize I am not God, that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that my life is unmanageable. Happy are those who know they are spiritually poor, Matthew 5, 3. Principle two, earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. Happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Matthew 5, 4. Principle three, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Happy are the meek, Matthew 5, 5. And principle four, openly examine and confess my faults to myself, to God, and to someone I trust. Happy are the pure in heart, Matthew 5, 8. And principle five, voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in my life and humbly ask him to remove my character defects. Happy are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. Matthew 5, 6. Principle 6. Evaluate all my relationships. Offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. Happy are the merciful. Matthew 5, 7. And happy are the peacemakers. Matthew 5, 9. Principle seven, reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. And principle eight, yield myself to God to be used to bring this good news to others, both by my example and by my words. Happy are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Matthew 5.10.
I can't think of a better call to worship this morning than to focus on the Word of God and the Beatitudes that we believe that there's something greater than what this world has to offer, and that that thing is Jesus. And so this morning, would you stand with us as we sing of his coming again? We believe that nothing can stop him. And who can stop the Lord Almighty? We see. And who can stop the Lord Almighty? And who can stop the Lord Almighty? And who can stop the Lord Stop the Lord Almighty. And who can stop the Lord Almighty? And who can stop the Lord Almighty? And who can stop the Lord? He's coming on the clouds. Stop the Lord, oh my Our God is the lion, the lion of Judah. He's roaring with power and fighting our battles, and every knee will bow before him. Our God is the lamb, the lamb that was slain for the sin of
can stop the Lord Almighty, no. Yes, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Lord Almighty? And who can stop the Lord Almighty? Who can stop the Continue to sing of the deliverance that we have through the blood of Jesus this morning. You unravel me with a melody. It's you surround me with a song of deliverance from my enemies to all my fears.
Hallelujah, praise the one. 
for the sacrifice that you made on the cross for our sins that we might know you and thank you for sending your spirit and teach us to walk by spirit in step with the spirit and to humble ourselves to your will and to your word this morning we love you and we are grateful we pray this in Jesus name amen you may be seated
Well, I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with grief, with anger and control. My name's Sam. We're focusing this morning on Celebrate Recovery, which means we're focusing on soul care, which means we're focusing on wholeness, which means we're focusing on restoration. And in order to continue our thinking in that direction, I want to tell you a Bible story. So open your Bibles, if you've got them, to 2 Kings chapter 5. For you panorama of the Bible students, we'll be in the time period of the divided monarchy. Today we're going to look at the story of a man who seemingly had it all together, yet he was navigating life with a limp, with a fatal flaw. His name was Naaman. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5, 2 Kings. It says, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. Naaman was a great man. He was a general in the military. He was a field marshal, a commander in the army of a foreign country to Israel named Aram. Aram was an on-again, off-again, sometimes enemy, sometimes ally of Israel. At this point in human history, Israel and Aram are in a time of relative peace. But the Arameans were not a group of people who believed in or worshipped Yahweh, the God of Israel, the creator God. They were a pagan nation. Now, Naaman was a man in charge. He had power and influence. He was a warrior. He was the king's right-hand man, and he had the respect of both his boss uh, and those who were under his leadership. When this guy spoke, people moved to action. He was successful. He was respected. He was victorious. He was skilled. He was brave. He was a man that you could count on to to get the job done. And and check this out in in this first verse it says something interesting, that even as a pagan warrior, the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, used Naaman to give the Arameans victory. That's an interesting theological concept. We won't tackle it today, but I'll just say this. God can use whoever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, to do whatever he wants. So he was using Naaman to accomplish his will. But look at those last four words of verse 1. Even though Naaman had everything going for him, he had a fatal flaw. He had a hang-up in life. It says, but he had leprosy. Leprosy was a degenerative skin disease that could not only take away his quality of life, but it could even end his life. Naaman had an issue. He had a defect. He had a sickness, a weak spot, a limp, something that could ruin him or, or trip him up, something that could knock him out of commission. Now, surely you can relate to Naaman. We all have issues. Naaman had a physical issue. Some of us have those. Uh, others have emotional issues or spiritual issues or moral issues. Whatever you have, you're one of us. We all have struggles. There's no person on this earth who has it all together. And whether you can admit it or not, that includes you. 
and me. We all have hurts. We all have habits. We all have hang-ups that can trip us up in life. And for some people, that issue dominates their life. They live life in a downward spiral of despair. Others try to ignore their issue or deny their issue or, or numb their issue. They successfully compartmentalize it for a time, but the issue still remains. Well, being consumed by your issue or ignoring, you, ignoring your issue are not the only ways to deal with it. There is a pathway that some choose to take to walk a road towards healing and wholeness, and it's a difficult road. Well, in our story today, Naaman is going to face a choice of how he will address his core issue. Let's continue the story and see which route he takes. Look at verses 2 and 3. Now, bands from Aram, that foreign country, had gone out and taken a captive, a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master Naaman would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So as a result of a raid from the Aramean soldiers on Israel, Naaman had an Israelite slave girl living in his home and serving his wife. And Naaman and his wife must have been kind to this slave girl because she was concerned for Naaman's well-being even though she was his captive. And she boldly made a recommendation to him to go see a prophet who worshipped her God, who was from her home country. It's a pretty hard sell on this recommendation to go to her boss and ask him to go to a foreign land to see a prophet who speaks on behalf of a God that Naaman doesn't believe in. So how would Naaman react? After being told what to do by his wife's slave girl, her maidservant, would he react with pride? or defensiveness, or anger, or disgust? Or would he humble himself and listen to her who might be able to help him in his desperate situation? Look at verse 4. Naaman listened. It says that he went to his master, that's the king of Aram, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. He went to his boss and asked for some time off to go seek treatment. Verse 5, by all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And so Naaman left, taking with him some money, 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels, and some gifts, 10 sets of clothing. And then he, had, he took a letter to the king of Israel from the king of Aram that read, with this letter I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. So how did Naaman react to the slave girl's bold recommendation? Well, he humbly received her counsel. And then he humbled himself and he went to his boss. He admitted his issue and he asked for help. And the king was eager to help. After all, this is his favored commander. and He was willing to not only give him time off, but to expend the resources of the nation of Aram to, to pay for this treatment. He funded the process and then he called in a favor from the king of Israel. He wrote a letter. And Naaman humbly went to Israel, to Samaria, and, and sought the help of the prophet. This prophet who represented a foreign god to Naaman in a foreign land. This is a humbling time for Naaman. 
And what we're going to see in the story is that humility is a key driver in the healing process. So Naaman, he travels to Israel. He presents the letter to the king. And verse 7 records the king of Israel's reaction. This is King Joram. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow, referring to the king of Aram, send someone to me, Naaman, to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me? So the king of Israel, King Joram, was shocked by the request. And, and he tore his robes. The, the tearing of robes in the Old Testament was a symbol of great distress or offense. Hey, kids, students, I don't recommend that you try this at home, like if your mom presents you with a dinner. Don't tear your clothes in distress and disgust at what she has put before you. It's, it's not going to go over well. But Joram, he's stressed out by the request. Now, Joram is not known for knowing the Lord. He was one of the evil kings of the divided monarchy. And when he got the letter, the first thought that came to his mind was to look within himself to see if he could heal Naaman. And he thought it was a trick from the king of Aram because he knew that he could not heal him of leprosy. It never occurred to him that the request was not of the king of Israel, but of the God of Israel. Let me pause here. Compare the faith of the king of Israel to the faith of the Israelite slave girl who's living in the country of Aram in captivity. You see, the king has lost his faith in God. And that's where Elisha enters the story. Look at verse 8. The prophet comes in. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message saying, why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Elisha sent word to the king of Israel that there is a true believer in the God of Israel, his spokesperson within the nation. Send him to me, and I will show him the healing power of God. That is regretfully slipped from the mind of our king. And Naaman is compliant. He actually packs everything back up and goes now to Elisha's house. Look at verses 9 and 10. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. So Naaman showed up at Elisha's house. He was offered a prescription for healing, washing in the Jordan seven times. And note that the prophet did not even go out to see him. He sent his servant. Elisha wanted there to be no doubt that he was not the one who heals, that it was the Lord, Yahweh, the creator God, who healed him. Now, this did not sit very well with Naaman. Look at verse 11. He was greatly offended by both Elisha's prescription and his process. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. 
And what's the deal with the Jordan River? Are not the Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than any of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off, turned and went off in a rage. The healing process and prescription did not meet Naaman's expectations. Elisha did not perform the way Naaman expected him to. Now remember, Naaman is used to getting his way. He's the, the commander of the armies of Aram. Uh, Naaman expected for Elisha to come out and do some sort of big, dramatic uh, process to have some, some flair to it. He wanted it to be a, a big experience for him. And to be asked to go wash in this little Israelite river offended him. He's, after all, from Aram. And they have mighty and powerful rivers there. And, and he thought he was above this method of healing to go and step his feet into the Jordan. He thought he was above that. So he pitched a fit. He, he blew his lid. He was enraged. Why? Unmet expectations. Which, by the way, is a huge issue in life for all of us. That sometimes can trigger us when things don't go the way that we expected them to or they don't proceed the way that we want them to. And we have to figure out in life how to deal when things don't go our way. And it didn't go so well for Naaman. He wanted to be healed, but he wanted it his way. And Elisha was very clear. If you want to be healed by Yahweh, the Lord of Israel, then you'll go to the Jordan. And at this point, Naaman's out. He's done. He's encountered a step that he is unwilling to take. Maybe you've been there before. You wanted to get better. You were tired of being tripped up. You were tired of failing in the same temptation or being derailed by the same memories of hurts from your past. And there were steps that needed to be taken, but they just seemed too difficult or, or daunting for you. Or your pride was too big. In this case, that's where Naaman was. He just, he couldn't do it. His pride had a hold of him. Look at verse 13. Luckily, he had some friends that would not give up on him. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed. Naaman's people began to reason with him. If he had given you some dramatic and demonstrative task or prescription, would you not have done it? Then why not just take this simple step, this simple prescription? This is the third time in the story that someone beneath Naaman, someone down the ladder of his level of influence has told him what to do. First, it was the slave girl in his home. And then secondly, it was Elisha's servant, and now his own servants. Naaman's at a crossroads here. What would he do? This is a defining moment for his life. Would he abandon his journey towards healing and choose to live in agony, or would he humble himself yet again and choose wholeness? Before we see Naaman's choice, let's talk about you and me. Maybe you've faced a choice like this in life. You've had a defining moment, a crossroads of healing and maturity. Maybe you're there right now. You know, in our American culture, it's our tradition to take the last few days of 
one year and forecast, project, make goals, set standards for the next year. So maybe you've been pondering some things you might put in the rearview mirror in your life. Some unhealthy habits you want to get rid of. I'm not talking about diet and exercise. We'll all do that for a week. But maybe it's a sin that's had a hold of you for a long time. Or a temptation that continually trips you up. Or some brokenness. Or anger. Or grief. Or unforgiveness. What would Naaman do? Well, one lesson he's learning is that humility leads to healing. Look at verse 14. This enraged, stubborn, military general actually takes the advice of all the servants who have been telling him what to do. And he went to the Jordan. It says in verse 14 that he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Naaman calmed down. He listened to his servant's advice. And he decided that his desire for healing was greater than his desire for control. And the Lord healed him. This was a supernatural event. Not by the word of Elisha. Not by the waters of the Jordan. But by the word and the touch of God Almighty. Naaman was healed. And it reminds me of God's ability to heal just at his very word or by his touch. And I thought it might be appropriate this morning for us to pause right here and just pray for someone that we know, and that could include yourself, who's in a desperate situation right now and could use the supernatural, divine, sovereign touch of God. Would you bow your heads and let's pray? And even those of you at home, And in the quiet of your heart, would you think of someone who's in need of physical, spiritual, emotional, relational healing and ask for God to heal them? And if he won't heal them now, give them the road, the courage to walk the road of suffering so they meet him one day. Spend some time in prayer for them. Well, Lord, if it's your will, I pray that every name thought of or whispered to you, Lord, would you, by your word, heal them today. Heal them of their cancers. Heal them of COVID. Heal them of their emotional distress. Heal them of their relational um, conflict, if that's your will. And Lord, if it's not your will for them to be healed on earth, I pray that you would give them the courage to walk the road of suffering until they meet you face-to-face and experience full restoration. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, Naaman took a step of faith. He practiced what we might call reluctant obedience. He was bullheaded. He was ornery. But he eventually came around. I love this story because it has some grit to it. Naaman was a, a real guy. He was desperate yet reluctant. He was humble yet stubborn. He, he had an edge to him that reminds me of some people that I know. You and me. I can really connect to Naaman. 
He wanted to have a healthy life. He was willing to take steps towards that, but yet sometimes he found those steps to be difficult. Sometimes he struggled working out God's plan. But in the end, he swallowed his pride and humbled himself before the Lord, and the Lord did an almighty work in his life. And it reminds me of a key point I want us to take home today. Humility leads to healing. Humility is the first step towards wholeness. It takes humility to admit that we have issues. It takes humility to ask for and receive help. It takes humility to take steps towards healing and restoration. And it's pride that is the greatest enemy of self. Well, the story concludes with a fascinating declaration. Look at verse 15. Naaman actually leaves the Jordan River and goes back to Elisha's house. It says, Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. And he stood before him and hear these words. Now I know that there is no God in the world except in Israel. So this pagan enemy combatant of Israel ends up placing his faith in God, in Yahweh, in the, the God of Israel. And he experienced not only physical healing of his leprosy, but now spiritual healing of his soul. And then he tried to pay Elisha off. <laughs> I guess that was the custom of the time. He said, now please accept this gift from your servant. And the prophet answered, Elisha says, as surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Naaman urged him, he refused. Elisha wanted it to be very clear. You don't owe me anything. I did not heal you. The God that I speak for healed you. If you have any gifts to offer, offer them to him. Hey, let's grab some takeaways from the story this morning. First one is this. We all have issues. I want you to raise your right hand. That includes everybody at home. I can see through the internet. Raise your right hand. Repeat after me. I have issues. All right, we've all got it out there. One of the things we say around fellowship is we want this to be a place where it is okay to not be okay. We've all got stuff. Some of us have little emotional things. Some of us have big ones. Some of us have addictions. Some of us have um, brokenness or habits that are just tripping us up, but we've all got them. Naaman had his issues. So regardless of your resume or what your LinkedIn website looks like or your background or your pedigree or your net worth or your influence, we've all got hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Second thing I take from the story is that we all need help. That's one of the re reoccurring themes in the story is that Naaman had to humbly ask for and accept help from others. And I don't know about you, but I just, as an American who's supposed to get things done on my own, really struggle having people help me. But we all need caretakers to help us in our journey. And then the last one's this, that we all must choose. Ultimately, we have to make a choice. Will we be dominated by our issue? Will we ignore it or deny it? Or will we walk the road towards restoration, healing, and recovery? And that takes a conscious choice. And I love that we're at a church that normalizes that and that is equipped to help in that journey. Humility leads to healing. My prayer for us this morning is that we will humbly enter next year by being willing to admit that we have stuff to work on, asking for and, and receiving help, and 
taking a bold step to be a better you next year. Would you pray with me? I want to give you a moment right now to process with the Lord. If you had to introduce yourself using the CR intro formula, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with, what would you put in the blank? Now go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to help you take a step in the process of being healed from those issues. Well, Father God, we humbly come to you and admit that we don't have it all together, that we desperately need you. And we ask that in 2021, you would help us to take one more step in our journey towards spiritual maturity. Lord, we thank you for our Celebrate Recovery ministry that helps us along the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, I want to introduce you guys to Carl Kimbrough, and Carl's going to share his story of finding healing through CR. Carl, thanks for joining us this morning. Hey, Sam. I looked in the mirror, and I hated the man that I saw. I didn't see a Christian. I didn't see a good family man. I didn't see a successful businessman. I didn't see any of the things that other people thought that they saw in me. Instead, what I saw was a hypocrite. I saw a man who had fooled everybody but God and himself. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus. I struggle with grief, loss, and the unpredictability of life, and my name's Carl. My wife and I have three sons, all of which we raised in a happy, healthy home. One of our sons began a long-term addiction to alcohol while in high school. Eight years ago, while he was in prison, his wife left the kids with us, went to work, and never came back. So we found ourselves suddenly raising two little girls, one 18 months old and one two and a half years old. This created a constant state of chaos in our lives. It seemed like every single day was a new hardship for us. It was just one bad experience after another. Dealing with a son in prison and a disappearing daughter-in-law and raising the two little girls was very, very stressful. Unfortunately, I didn't handle that situation very well. I struggled at home, I struggled at work, and I definitely struggled at life. I faked it well, but I was dying on the inside. Soon a particular area of sin became a huge temptation for me, and I dove right in. I knew it was wrong, and then I knew that what I was doing would ruin my reputation if anybody ever found out, but I just couldn't stop. I hid it well from others, and no one even suspected that anything at all was wrong. Like I said previously, on the outside, I look like a successful businessman. I look like a good family man. And I certainly looked like a good Christian, but I wasn't any of those things. I was none of those things because I was miserable. I had turned away from God, and I tried to hide from him. I hated myself, and I was absolutely sure that God hated me too. When my son was released from prison, I started attending Celebrate Recovery with him. I went because I knew that he, not me, he needed to be there. At first, I denied my own problems because I was always focusing on his. 
But when he went back to prison, I stayed at Celebrate Recovery because I started to make friends there in my open share group. But I was still in denial. I was still living in addiction to my pet sin, and I had finally hit rock bottom. I was miserable from hiding, exhausted from pretending, and overwhelmed with shame. I finally realized that this pet sin, along with all the others, was just symptoms of the deeper issues in my life. I had to get to the heart of my pain if I was ever going to heal. If I, otherwise, if I didn't, I would just keep throwing whatever activity or substance I could find at that pain, all in a vain attempt to numb it. I knew this wasn't the answer, and it was then that I turned back to God and cried out to him. I admitted I was powerless to control my tendencies to do the wrong thing, and I begged him for help. I shared my struggles with my wife, and I began to find a new relationship with God. It wasn't easy for me to do that, and there was definitely a lot of setbacks. But I found some male accountability partners whom I could call when temptation showed up. I went to open share groups on Friday night, and I joined a Celebrate Recovery step study group. At first, it was really hard to tell other people about my struggles and to admit that I had a problem. It was even harder to admit that I couldn't solve this problem on my own. I had to turn it over to God and let him use Celebrate Recovery and my family of fellow strugglers to help me beat my own personal addiction. God humbled me greatly, but he strengthened me at the same time. It didn't happen overnight, but freedom came as I worked through the recovery principles and steps. The deep change that needed to happen in my heart was beginning to take place. The freedom I found there was nothing short of miraculous. God never lets a hurt go to waste. I really believe that. As a result of what I've been through and with the help of Celebrate Recovery, God opened up tremendous doors of opportunities for me to serve others. I'm extremely active in prison ministry where I mentor men both inside and outside of prison. My wife and I have adopted our granddaughters and we lead the GAP group, which is grandparents' parents' care group here at Fellowship. This is a group of people like us who minister to their raising their grandchildren. We minister to those people. Cheryl and I have become more involved than ever in ministry opportunities here at Fellowship and elsewhere. God has taken the bad and turned it to good. He's changed my life, and if I'm really honest, he probably saved it as well. When I shared a few moments ago that a particular area of sin became a huge temptation for me, I'm not sure what you assume that sin was. What if it ended up being the exact same sin struggle or the exact same sin addiction you are battling today? Would that help you accept the fact that change is possible? Would you consider joining me and other fellow strugglers this Friday night at Celebrate Recovery so you can begin your journey to healing and wholeness? Maybe like me, you hate the person you see when you look in the mirror. If you do, I'm really sorry because it hurts. It really hurts. But there is hope and it's available at Celebrate Recovery. No matter what your hurt, habit, or hang-up is, Celebrate Recovery is a tool that I believe God can use in your life to give you the help you're looking for. I encourage you to check it out for yourself, and I promise you, you'll be glad you did. Thank you for letting me share.
Would you stand with me and let's sing God's amazing grace toward us? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that tore my heart to fear, and grace my fears for 
I want to introduce you guys, if you don't know him, to Rodney Holmstrom. This is our leader of Celebrate Recovery at Fellowship. Uh, and, and if you got, let me brag on these guys. If you don't know, our Celebrate Recovery is nationally known. And Rodney and his team, they've planted over 15 Celebrate Recoveries here in Northwest Arkansas. And they are trainers for a region, and then they even train internationally. And so we're so proud of you guys. Y'all just bro. really kill it, man. We're appreciative. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> I am a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I struggle with drugs and alcohol and a whole mess of other character defects. And my name is Rodney. Hello, Rodney. <laughs> hey, guys. I just want to tell you a little bit about uh, Celebrate Recovery. You know, one of the common questions that I get from folks is, is who is it for? And if you have a pulse, it's for you. Uh, what I've seen through the years is that people... Uh, through the years have learned that people will hurt us, they'll let us down, and they're going to fail us. And sometimes we equate that experience to God. And, and I just want you to lean into and stay curious that there is a God that, that wants to and is, is he's designed to help us with whatever those hurts are in our life instead of avoiding those in our life and getting stuck in some unhealthy thinking about ourselves and God and others. So it's really for, for any of us, but well, one thing I just want to let you know is that this is, this is a place that is not just for addictions. In fact, one in three that are coming to Celebrate Recovery are dealing with addictions. Everybody else is dealing with all that underlying stuff, uh, low self-esteem, insecurities, control, perfectionism, people-pleasing, uh, workaholism, all those things. And yes, even the things that we can get stuck with, uh, the addictions can play into that as well. But we're really addressing all the stuff that kind of leads us to the, the big problems that show themselves. So what I hear you say is if one of us were to come to celebrate recovery, it doesn't mean that we're addicted to substances no. and that kind of thing. But right. You can come for anything, and then you're going to see people just like us there. Um, you know, maybe, maybe tell us if we were to... I've heard the story over and over again. Someone comes to the celebrate recovery on Friday night, they pull in the parking lot, and then they never get out of their car. Yeah. Because they're so intimidated. So maybe paint a picture what Celebrate Recovery like. Yeah, I think we kind of build up this picture of recovery as the, the monsters are going to be in the room and we get scared. And it makes sense because we've held on to this for so long. But when you walk in, you're going to see a room full of people. We meet right here in this worship center. A room full of people just like you and I that uh, have just gotten really good at hiding their stuff. And so we just come in and we worship. We have a large group experience just like this. And then we break up into small groups, uh, gender specific, so we can safely share. And that first time, we're just going to get you to next week. We have a Celebrate Recovery orientation. And by the way, if you're wondering if we're going to ask you to share your full inventory night one, that's not going to happen. Um, it's very relaxed, and we just want to give you information to give you some confidence. Um, in fact, even when you do get into a, into a small group, you don't have to share what, what's going on in your life. If you want to take some time just to listen, and when you feel safe, I know when I first came in, I kind of dug my heels in and said, I'm not going to share anything. But then when I started hearing the safety in that room and hearing other guys sharing, and it was like, wow, you struggle with that? You struggle with I thought I was the only one that struggled with that. And eventually I was able to open up, and man, there was such healing in that revealing as I just let that stuff uh, off my chest and out of my heart. Well, what a great partnership we have with Celebrate Recovery, and, 
And they're not a, a ministry that uses our building. They are part of our ministry. And many of our staff and people have experienced healing through the ministry. And so, Rodney, when I've been to Celebrate Recovery, at the end of the evening, we close with a special prayer. Yeah. So can we close today with a serenity prayer? Yeah, let's prayer? do it. Boy, this 2020 COVID year, we need serenity, don't we? Would you stand <laughs> hey, with stand. us? Let's read this uh, out loud together. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. Amen. Hey, if you want to join us Friday night at 6.30, special Nail It to the Cross service. If you would like to meet some of our CR staff, they'll be here at the stage. Or if you want prayer, we have Steve and Barbie Lay in the prayer room. We love you, fellowship. We love all of you watching online. We can't wait to see you next week. Have a good day.